this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to kind of do a two-part study on a particular passage from Matthew chapter 6 that I know most of you are very familiar with. You've read before. You've heard it quoted before. Um, but we are going to swim around in it for a little while. We're going to spend some time with it and and really contemplate exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6 when he talks about worry. And I, I just want to ask you to think about for a minute, what are the things that worry you? And when I say when I say worry, I mean like deep worry. What are the things that just really um, cause you to lose sleep at night? Things that disrupt your life um, because the the anticipation or the possibility of something going wrong just uh, causes you to lock up and freeze. Uh, what what are those things that that worry you the most? Um, if you if you look at I did a little bit of research and some of the most common things that that Americans worry about um, at the top of the list is money, finances, um, not being able to. There there's a huge percentage of people who say they worry from from week to week, month to month, if they're going to have what they need to pay their bills. Uh, and a lot of people also worry about their financial future. What is it going to look like 20, 30, 50 years down the road? Uh, will I have enough money to live on? Will I be able to retire? Uh, will I have to work, uh, until I die? Like what are lots of uncertainties about finances is a big deal. Job security is also something that people confess in America worrying a lot about, um, with the economy being the way it is, and and even with this pandemic coming, we know that this has been a huge concern for lots of people. Um, am I going to be able to keep my job? Is something going to happen that that I'll suddenly find myself without work, and and won't be able to find work? What what will I do then? And then that that worry kind of tags along with that worry about money. So, um, and then there's um, and then there's relationships. Uh, relationships, people worry about uh, current relationships, um, the status of those. And then we also sometimes worry about finding relationships that we don't have. Maybe, maybe we're, we're not in relationships. There are lonely people who, who think, will I ever find anybody to love me? Will I ever be in a relationship with somebody? Um, and then some of us worry about losing relationships that are special to us. All of these things, money, jobs, relationships with people, all are, are sources of things that we worry about as people. I want to share just a few statistics with you that, that probably won't shock you, but maybe we'll put some perspective on um, why we're talking about this this morning. There are 40 million adults in the United States who suffer from some sort of anxiety disorder. Now that is 18% of the population. 18% of all adults who live in the United States suffer from some kind of anxiety disorder. And when it comes to kids, it's not just something that affects adults. It's something that affects kids too. 25% of children deal with some sort of anxiety issue, and that's 13 to 18-year-olds. About one in every four kids that we see is struggling with some kind of anxiety. Um, and then, um, it, and it's not just something, anxiety and worry is not just something that affects people outside. The church is something that's very much present inside the church. And over these past six months, I've had lots of conversations with lots of people who express that very thing that um, that they're worried, they're scared, they're they're nervous about um, how the present is and how the future is going to be. And so, there's a lot of anxiety within the church, and um, and so I feel like it, it's really important for us to to take a couple of weeks and talk about this. Um, and I also want you to know the, the perspective that I'm coming from as we talk about this. Um, I'm not coming to you as one who has figured it out. 
Okay. And I don't speak to you as somebody who, who never worries about anything, um, or who doesn't struggle with anxiety at all. Um, I do. I'm, I, I would never pretend to not struggle with this. I, I do struggle with it. And, um, I, and I think you'll identify with me when I really find myself in, in moments where worry, I can feel it taking control of me. It affects me physically. Like I, I can physically feel the effects of my own worry and anxiety, uh, coming on. It affects the way my stomach feels. I, I'm, I become lethargic. I don't, I don't want to, I don't have energy to want to do anything, uh, because there's this despair that, that comes in from my mind, from our minds that, that is so strong that it affects our, our physical bodies as well. It's kind of like you, you, you feel heavy, like literally that, that phrase of, of feeling like a weight has been lifted is like a, a, a real thing because I, I can physically feel like I'm carrying a big, huge weight when I'm really worried about something. Um, and it can be all of those things, any of those things that we've mentioned before. I've, I've struggled with those things as well. So I want you to know it's very humbly that I, that I, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. I'm diving into this with you because I want the Lord to speak into my life just as much as I want him to speak into yours. So, um, this issue is not just a modern day issue. It's not an American issue. It's a, it's a mankind problem. And it's something that Jesus even, um, saw evidence of in the first century. And so he, he saw this and as part of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he took time to address this issue specifically. So I want us to look at what Jesus said today and, to, and next Sunday. And, and just see what he had to say about it then, how it spoke into the people's lives then, and how it can speak into our lives now. So, um, let's look. It's in Matthew chapter six. <clears throat> I'm going to put the scripture on the screen for you, but if you want to follow along with me, chapter six, verses 25 through 34. That's the whole passage. We're going to start by reading that, and then we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to kind of walk through the first half of it this morning, and then we'll finish the next half of it next Sunday. But Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow, or reap, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I know with that last passage, most of us maybe in our minds just went, Amen. Every day does have enough trouble of its own. Um, but this is a pretty familiar passage to us. And it's because this is a familiar passage that we need to stop and spend some time in it. Again, like I've told you before, with many sermons that, that we've, that we've done over the past couple of years about passages that are very familiar to us. 
uh, it's very easy. Those seem to be the ones that we misunderstand or maybe have just a surface understanding of the most, the ones that we're most familiar with. But, but there's some of the deepest truth and encouragement in those passages. And this is one of those. And so we want to spend some time um, looking at this. Again, this is part of Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so let's go back. I want us to look again. I'm going to show you verse 25. And that, that really is the catapult for everything Jesus is going to say through verse 34. So let's look at verse 25 again. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, sometimes I think we can read this passage and we can think, that Jesus' tone is very harsh. Now, when Jesus says, don't worry, that that is a command. Um, when, when you study the languages, he doesn't say that as, a, as an optional suggestion. When he says, don't worry, he says it declaratively as a, as a command. But I think sometimes we read it and we hear Jesus' tone as if he is... He's pointing his finger and he's scolding and he's saying, Hey, stop, stop worrying. Don't, don't do that. And I, and I just think it's, it's more helpful if we read his tone as, as who he is. <laughs> he is the great shepherd. He's our heavenly father. And so it's, it's the same kind of assurance when you would go into your kids' bedrooms at night. And there were monsters under the bed and, and you would do something to, to run them away or get rid of them. And then maybe you even lay down in the bed with your kids and you held them and you pulled them close to you and you said, look, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be scared. There's nothing to worry about. Uh, you didn't, you didn't scold them or ridicule them. You were trying to comfort them. And I think that's what Jesus intention is here. I think he's trying to comfort us, but at the same time, He's, he's trying to instruct us. And so he says, don't worry. And, and three times in this passage, he uses that command. Don't worry. Don't just stop. And, and when you look at the language even deeper, what, what he's really saying expanded in those couple of words is if you're worrying right now, stop. If you're, if you ever have worried, don't do it anymore. <laughs> and if you're about to worry, stop yourself before you do it. Like it, it's, it's this all encompassing idea of eliminate all worry out of your life. Um, and I think it's helpful too for us to define what, what is worry. Uh, Miriam Webster gives us a definition that says, that worry is mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually for something impending or anticipated. I think all of us will, will admit that worry in and of itself is, is about something that isn't even really real. Most of what we worry about is not reality. Most of what we worry about is possibility. And Jesus um, is saying here, don't worry about, and, and I think most of us, if we're honest, we can look back and say, wow, I can, I can remember this issue that I was so worried about. Maybe it was in a relationship. I can think of lots of instances. I, I, I tend to I tend to have anxiety sometimes about relationships with people because I, I, I feel like I care a lot about relationships and people who are my friends and you guys and part of my church. And so sometimes I can, I can find myself falling into worry about people's relationship with me, what they, what they think or how they feel about me. And there's been oftentimes that I've anticipated somebody being upset with me or somebody not being happy with me. Uh, because of a set of circumstances. 
and then come to find out that that wasn't the case at all. And in just talking with that person, I realized that, that the reality that I was creating that was causing my worry was never a reality in the first place. And many of us, you think of any circumstance that you worry about. We will acknowledge that lots of times when we get to the, to the other end of that anticipation and we get to the reality of it, we look at it and what we anticipated isn't even true. It, it never existed and it never came to exist at all. And so we think about how much stress do we put ourselves through in, in worrying about something that, that's never come true, that's never come into reality. Um, Jesus says, don't worry in verse 25. But at the beginning, he says something very important. Um, I'm going to flip back up to there. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Now, anytime Jesus says, therefore, that means go back to the last thing that I said. Anytime you see therefore in the scripture and then an instruction afterwards, therefore means go back and read what, what is before. And so what Jesus talks about in verses 19 through 24 is possessions and money and materialism. That's what he talks about in verses 19 through 24. And then he says, therefore, don't worry. And the main point, what he says in verse 24, right before he says, therefore, in verse 25, he says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. So he's speaking to the people's and, and even our capacity to want to let materialism take over our life, to make money and materialism a God in our life. And Jesus says you can't serve God and you can't serve money and material. You can't be a slave to both. You have to choose. He says, so if you have chosen because, because God is your father and you can't serve two masters, then don't worry. It's as if Jesus is saying, since God is your master and not material things and not money, you say, well, I, I don't feel like I'm a slave to money or, or that I worship money or materialism. You probably don't. I don't think anybody does. I think we all maybe sometimes fall into that. I think we go through seasons where, where that is true. But it, what Jesus is saying is, if money is not your God, if materialism is not your God, then my father is. And because my father is your God, verse 25, don't worry about your needs being met. And he, and he, and he gets real specific. I'm going to show you the verse again. I keep flipping back and forth, but I want you to see it. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your what? Your life. And then he says what you will eat and what you will drink. And then about your body, what you will wear. That word life, when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, that literally means everything. That Greek word is, is the, it is a word that encompasses all of a person's being. When he says, don't worry about your life, he means don't worry about your physical life. Don't worry about your mental life. Don't worry about your emotional or your spiritual life. If God is your master, there's no need to worry about any of those things. And, and, the, and Jesus is able to tell us not to worry about any of these things, not because of us, but because of him. And that's the first point that I want us to, to grasp this morning, and this is it. There's nothing to worry over because your master is over everything. There's nothing to worry over because your master is over everything. Jesus is basically saying that if God is your master, if God is your father, he is over all things. And so when he, he says, don't worry about your life, 
Because all of those things, God is over those. And if God is your father and God is your master, he is, he is over all of those things. And there's no need for you to concern yourself that he can't handle that. Now, if money is your God, if possessions and materialism is your God, then you have plenty to worry about. But the reason Jesus can say to believers, real believers, don't worry, is because of who God is, because of who he is. It's, it's not because of you. It's not because of your ability to, to be able to, um, to be able to control your feelings and emotions. It's not, Jesus doesn't say, well, look, I'm telling you not to worry. So it's up to you to figure it out. He's like, you don't have to figure it out because God's already figured it out. He's over everything. And so because he's over everything, literally everything, there's no need for you to worry about anything. And what that calls into question for us, I believe, is, is how big do we think God really is? How much control do we think God has? How much control and sovereignty do we really believe that God has? Um, because if we understand that God is completely sovereign and over everything, we really can't justify being controlled by this crippling worry that we sometimes fall into. Um, because the source of, of worry in the life of a believer comes from the distrust in the masters, in, in the master of, of who God is. It, it's a distrust in how, how much under control does God have things. And you say, well, that's harsh, Eric. Are you telling, are you telling me that I don't trust God? No, what I'm telling you is that sometimes I don't trust God. <laughs> sometimes I take on the responsibility for having to to fix things on my own or having to um, having to try to make compensation for what I'm I'm afraid might happen before I allow God to show himself faithful. And maybe that's you too. Uh, and and it and it does something to us. It does something to our faith. Um, the English word, actually, worry comes from an old German word, which means to choke or to strangle. And isn't that true? Um, worry, that, that's what it does to us. It, 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 to our, to our life, to our relationships sometimes, and even to our faith as believers, it can just strangle and choke us out. And it doesn't take a lot of it to do it. Um, it's been said, you guys know when you're, when you're driving or, or you wake up in the morning and you look outside and you see this dense fog everywhere and you're like, wow, um, let me give you a, a little bit of science that a, a fog, a dense fog that is 100 feet deep and is big enough to cover seven city blocks can has the substance of one less than one glass of water. So the moisture that can cause a fog that's that big, seven city blocks, a hundred feet deep, is the same amount of moisture that's in a glass of water. Um, the substance of worry is very small, but the size of it in our minds can become really big. Sometimes what we're worrying about, and especially to God, as our master, as sovereign Lord, he looks at that and goes, wow, that's really little. That's not a big deal to me. But to us, it's like a fog that can cripple. I mean, it, a, a dense enough fog can shut down a whole city. You can shut down a city with a fog that that would have the substance of a gallon of water. It would be enough to shut down a whole city. 
And that's what worry does in us. Um, the substance of it is very small, but in our minds, it can, it can become so big. It can cripple us. And Jesus says, um, don't worry because I've got this. Don't worry because, uh, my father is your master and he is, he is in control of everything. Um, and then he mentions, um, some specific things. He says, don't worry about what, what you will eat, what you will drink or, or what you'll wear. He says, don't worry about your body. Um, and these three, I think Jesus uses these three examples because he, again, he's, he's speaking back to what he's talking about materialism in 19 through 24, money and greed. But he's also speaking to this because food, drink, and clothing are, are three of the most basic human needs that we have. It doesn't matter what time period in history, um, how old you are, anything. All people at all times have these three most basic needs, food, water, and clothing. Um, and even as, as, as important as those things are, like those are basic human needs that we have to have. Jesus says it's not the source of your life. He said, drink food and water and clothing are some of the most basic things you will need as humans, but, but that's not the source of your life. We don't have life because of those things. We have life because of Christ. We have life because of the master. So if the master is the creator of your life and he's over everything, there isn't anything to worry about. And so this can, this can cause us to ask the question, okay, I get that. God is in control. He's over everything. Then, and I understand that. And I would even say, yes, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Then why do I still struggle with worry? Um, and there can be lots of reasons for that, but I want to speak into one of the reasons that I think Jesus was trying to address specifically in this passage, again, based on what he talks us about in verses 19 through 24, when he talks about money and materialism. And here's, here's the next point that, I, that I really, uh, this really super challenged me and I hope maybe it will challenge you too. The presence of worry often reveals a lack of contentment. The presence of worry often reveals a lack of contentment. Um, you say, well, where does, um, where does my worry come from? Um, I want us to look in Philippians chapter four. Uh, this is the words of Paul and listen to what Paul had to say. We all know Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to what Paul was saying right before he said that. Look at verse 11. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. And Paul found himself in lots of circumstances. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was came near death several times. And he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Now, I believe what Jesus would say to us is that what Paul says here should be the state of mind that all of us are pursuing. This should be our normal because contentment is the opposite of worry. Not, um, not peace so much, but contentment. Contentment is the opposite of worry. And Paul expresses in here that I've learned contentment. And he said it was something that he had to learn. And so I believe that's something that we have to learn as well. But this is the state of mind that I believe Jesus wants us to have. 
And this is part of the secret to eliminating worry from our life is being content in where we are and being content with what we have and being content with who God is and trusting that everything we have comes from him. Um, and there's three, there's three truths that we need to, if we find ourselves worrying a lot and then we realize that contentment, our own discontent is part of the reason that maybe we worry so much. Um, there are three things that I want you to remember, and I don't have slides for these. You'll just have to remember these. Okay. The first one is that God owns everything. Um, contentment, the way Paul described it, partially comes from our, our grasping the truth that God owns everything, that everything we have belongs to him. And when we understand this, it changes the way we hold on to things. It changes the way we possess things when we understand that they really don't belong to us. Um, there's a story about John Wesley. Uh, that says um, one day someone came to him uh, in, a, in a panic and said, uh, Mr. Wesley, your house is on fire. Your house is burning down. And John Wesley just calmly looked at them and said, no, no, I, no, it hasn't. I don't own a house. He said, the one I live in belongs to God. And if it has burned down, that's one less responsibility for me to worry about. And you say, that's crazy. But you think about the kind of faith in that. John Wesley, at his house burning down, most of us would, would, would panic in that situation. But Wesley says, no, I, my house hasn't burned down because the house doesn't belong to me. It's God's house he allows me to live in. And if it's burned down, that's one less responsibility that I have that can cause me to worry. To know that God owns everything, that everything we have and the things that we worry about, even, even our relationships and our families and, and, and people that we love, we know ultimately that, that they are his, that they're his children, just like we are his children, that he owns, he owns everything. He, he possesses everything and that it's his. And so that's part of where contentment comes from. And contentment with, um, with material possessions and, and things that we have. Cause let's just be honest. So much of the majority of everything we worry about has to do with our stuff, has to do with our money and what we have and what we will have. And will we have enough to be happy? And will we have enough to be content? Will, will our life be, um, the way we want it to be? And if it's not, our discontent is what causes us to worry. Our, our idea of maybe things aren't going to be the way I want them to be. And that's where worry takes root and begins to grow. And so one of the ways we battle that is to understand that, that we really don't own anything. God owns all of it. The second thing is not only does he own all of it, but he controls everything. God's in control of everything. Um, Kim and I um, have uh, w one of the greatest things or most fun things that we like to do together is travel. We love traveling. And I, I think I've said that before, but I'll be honest and say that sometimes Kim's, Kim worries about my driving. She worries about the way I drive. And sometimes she will, um, she'll stress out or, or maybe she, she anticipates that I'm not going to stop in time or, or something like that. Um, I'm sure this is a scenario that plays out in most of your lives as if you're married, that this happens in your car too. But, uh, she anticipates that maybe I'm not paying attention or I'm not doing something right. And then, Sometimes I, I get frustrated with her because I'm like, no, I saw that. I have it. It's all under control. Don't freak out. Everything's good. Um, but the only time that she does that where it can, 
it can be maybe frustrating or annoying to me is when I feel like I'm in control and she feels like I'm not. Um, and I want to go, look, I've got this. I've got this under control. But really, how much do I have under control when I'm driving a car on the highway? Like, yeah, I've got control over what I'm doing. I've got control over what direction I'm going, my speed, whether I'm going to stop, slow down, speed up, get around this big truck on the interstate, whatever it is. Like, I'm in control of me. But there's just as much, if not more, all around us that I don't have any control over. And... um so I think those are the things that even if I feel like I'm in control, there's really a whole lot that I don't have control over. And I think that's true in our life. Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking, man, I've got this. I've got this under control. Or if something's going to go right, I've got to control it. I've got to fix it. I've got to make it go uh, the way I need it to go. And And that's part of where a lot of our worry comes from. But if we understand that God controls everything, he doesn't just own it, but he controls it. There's no need to worry about the things that God controls. Like even in the car, yeah, there there probably is total concern for Kim to worry about my driving because I'm not sovereign over everything. <laughs> I, I can control me, but I can't control everybody else around me. So I shouldn't be frustrated with her when I make her nervous when I drive because uh, I've ridden in the car with my boys when they were learning how to drive and I know how that feels. Uh, you remember when you were teaching your teenagers how to drive and you're like, uh, you you have that invisible break in the floor and, and you like so much want to be able to control um, because, because you know they've got control over some things, but there's so much that they don't have control over. But that's not the case with God. God, if God was a driver in a car, he's not just controlling the car, but he's controlling all the traffic. He's controlling the road. He's controlling the temperature. He's controlling the weather. He's controlling everything. And so even though there's capacity and need for us to worry when it comes to our control of things, that like that kind of worry is justified. But worrying about things that God has control over, there's no need to worry. And he's literally saying, I, I have everything under control. Even when it goes wrong and you, and you think every, something is running off the road, I've, I've still got control of it. And so part of our contentment comes not for, not from just knowing that God owns everything, but God controls everything. And then finally, the third thing is that God provides everything. He owns it all, he controls it all, but he also provides it all. And remember what those three basic things were that Jesus said, don't worry about your food, your drink, and what you're going to wear. Um, and most of you would probably say, I don't worry about that stuff. I don't worry about what food I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink or what I'm going to wear. Um, most of what we worry about when it comes to food is what am I going to eat, not if I'm going to eat. That's not really a worry that, that a lot of us identify with. Or am I going to have enough water to drink? Am I going to have enough clean water? We have an abundance of water. We have an abundance of things to drink. And then clothes, most of the time, the biggest decision or stress that we have about clothes is going through our, our closet full of clothes, trying to figure out what it is that we want to wear. Um, but when Jesus was talking to this crowd in the first century, he was talking to people who legitimately saw those as day-to-day -day needs. Um, these things weren't taken for granted by the people in the first century the way they're taken for granted by us as, as 21st century Americans. Um, Think about the region that Jesus was ministering in and the people there. It was um, often, I mean, it was a desert area. And sometimes rainfall was scarce. And if there's not enough rain, 
then there's not enough water and the water shortage would lead to a shortage of crops and food. And then the shortage of food would affect the economy and it would, it would affect the, the ability for people to buy and sell clothing. So I think for us to really understand and really grasp what, what Jesus is trying to say, I think sometimes to understand the scriptures, we need to read them, try to, try to not read them as Americans. And this is what I mean. Um, how would people in other parts of the world read and understand what Jesus is saying here? How, how would people in, in countries, believers on the other side of the world, how would they respond to Jesus' words here when he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat? And they don't have enough, they have enough to barely get by today. They have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. They literally have nothing in the pantry. They don't even have pantries. They live in a house with four walls and a dirt floor, maybe a roof. And Jesus says, don't worry about where you're going to eat. What kind of faith is he calling them to? When he says, don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about whether you're going to have clean water or not. And there are people who, who don't have access to clean water on a daily basis on the other side of the world all the time. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Like I think, I think we can read this as 21st century rich Americans and, and totally not get it. God is not just our master, but he's our father. And whether he gives us more or takes, gives us less, takes things away, all of it is owned by him, it's all controlled by him, and it's all provided by him. And so Jesus is calling us to a faith that says, don't, don't worry. And think about the source of a lot of the worry you have. Do you really have to worry about the things that you need? Or what I have to ask myself is this. Are the things that I worry about needing really needs in my life? Or have I just, because of my lack of contentment, I've convinced myself that I need more than I really need and those things are the source of my worry. I want us to look um, again. Jesus says in verse 25, um, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Isn't life more than that? And then he gives us a couple of examples. And we're, gonna, we're getting close to wrapping up here. Um, let's look at verse 26 through 29. Jesus says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin or thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, was adorned like one of these. Jesus kind of gives us a couple of examples, and he contrasts here, and he uses birds, first of all. And he says, look at the birds. The birds don't sow seed. They don't harvest seed. They don't have um, storehouses where they gather food in. The bird wakes up, they go out, they find food in the midst of all that God has provided for that day. 
they feed themselves, they feed their young ones, and then they wake up knowing the next day that they're going to be able to find food again. Um, and he's not saying that birds don't put any effort into feeding themselves or their or their young. That's not what he's saying. This isn't a call to just sit lazily and wait on God to drop food in your mouth. Like That's not what he's saying. He says they get up and they work and they do what they have to do to feed themselves, but they don't stockpile it. They don't anticipate or worry that later one day they're going to wake up and there's not going to be any food anywhere. And so they decide to stockpile it. Um, they, God, every day, provides everything that they need. Jesus said in his prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today, God. And what Jesus is saying here is that look at the birds. God does that for the birds. And, and the birds, in comparison to you, are pretty insignificant. So if God will do that, if he will make sure on a daily basis that the birds have enough food to eat, isn't he going to make sure that you have enough food to eat? Are you so much more valuable to him than that? I did read one commentator when, when talking about the, the behavior of birds and how, how they gather food, um, that birds only eat in excess when humans put them in cages. It's when they're it's when they're they're captured that they will eat more than they need. But most of the time birds will go out, find what they need, gather it, eat it, feed it, and then they wake up the next day to do it all over again. And every single day God provides for them what they need. And he looks at he looks at the people there and says, If God will do that with the birds, he'll certainly do that with you. You're made in his image. You, be, you, are, you are his most prized creation. And, and you are, as we, you guys have heard me say before and we've talked about, you are set apart in creation. You are different than the animals. You, you, are, you are made in the image of God. And when Jesus says, aren't you more important than them? He's literally saying, yes, that God values you more, even more than them. But if he's faithful in taking care of them every single day, how much more faithful is he going to be to take care of you? And then he uses flowers as an example. Same principle. But where birds, he's, he's using food as, as the worry and the illustration. When he goes to flowers, he's talking about clothing. And he says they, they don't have the ability to fashion themselves. Flowers don't. Flowers just grow. God creates them, and they grow, and fla a flower does nothing to make itself beautiful, does it? It just, it just grows. God provides. God gives it its beauty, its, its clothing. He cares for it. Um, and he compares that to Solomon. And he says, look at the, look at the flowers. And he's, and he's talking about like the wildflowers that would grow in the pastures. Like, look at those. Look at how beautiful they are. I don't know if you've ever, like, I've not, but taken a look at a flower, even like under a microscope, and to look at the petal of a flower and just to see the intricate detail that, that makes up that petal of that flower. And to think that God was the one who wove that together. God is the one who puts that together and he clothes the flowers of the field in, in these beautiful um, buds and, and flowers and, 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 and he does that. They don't do any of that for themselves. They don't have sewing machines. They don't, they don't go and gather fabric and put it together and, and try to make something that's beautiful to cover themselves. And he uses Solomon. He says, not even Solomon, who, who would have, as soon as people heard Solomon, they heard rich, like somebody who had everything they could have ever wanted. 
And he says, not, and Jesus said, not even Solomon in all of his riches could, could have a custom tailor put together an outfit that could even compare to the beauty that God clothes the flowers of the field with. And if God does that for the flowers who are here for a really short time, they're here today and literally they die off and they're gone tomorrow. How much more is he going to clothe you? How much more is he going to take care of you? But the flowers don't have to fashion themselves. Um, Jesus said this to people who probably had a genuine need uh, for clothes. But but what what does this say to us? What does our desire for fashion, trends, and styles say about our contentment? And again, I'm not I'm not pointing fingers at at you or or anybody else. I'm 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 calling all of us, me included, to self-examine our own hearts. But you think about the fashion industry and how much the fashion industry drives our contentment. Uh, one single person just has to release a certain shoe or a certain article of clothing that all of a sudden we create into a need for ourselves, don't we? I've got to have that. And, and because they, they know, because the fashion industry knows that's our pattern, they, they draw financial gain from it. That's why the, the latest basketball shoe that comes out costs $180. <laughs> because if they can create an appetite for it, that appetite becomes a need in our minds. It becomes a need. And we'll do whatever we have to do to meet that need. Um, but Jesus is saying, look, the flowers trust God to make them beautiful with what he provides for them. How much more is he going to provide what you need? Now, I think the question that we all have to consider um when it comes to our food, when it comes to our, our clothes, all of those things is, have we fooled ourselves into believing that these things, certain things are needs in our life when they're really not? And because we've, because we've created these luxuries in our life, because we've made them into needs, we've convinced ourselves that if we can't have the luxuries that we perceive that we need, then that's where our worry comes from. I don't think many of us are worried about if we're going to have clothes to put on in the morning. I think most of us worry about, are we going to have clothes that are acceptable to people when we get up in the morning? Like our students, when they get up and get dressed to go to school, they're not worried about if they're going to have clothes to cover themselves. They're worried about, am I going to have clothes that are going to make me acceptable to other people? And maybe I want other people to accept me so much because I've not really grasped and understood how much God's accepted me. Or maybe there's a discontent with my relationship with, with God. Maybe there's, I, I'm not content with just being accepted by God, but I want to be accepted by people so much that this has become a need for me rather than, a luxury when God has already more than adequately met my need. I've taken something that's not a need and made it a need. I think that's part of what, what we're doing. And I think that's part of what Jesus maybe is, is trying to instruct us as 21st century Americans is trust me to meet your needs and then the things that you want, if we're all honest, God doesn't just meet our needs. Most of the time, he is extremely gracious and he gives us things that we want, doesn't he? I mean, look at the houses we live in. Look at the cars we drive and the, and the clothes that we have. We, we should not consider God to be stingy. 
God very much. He he gives us what we need, and He also blesses our efforts and 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 what we do. And and many of us have lots of things that we love. But is our worry is is the is the worry that we have based on what we need, or is it more based on what we want? And maybe the key to eliminating worry in our life is not to gain more things. But maybe the key to eliminating worry is needing less things. Um, so here's a question that, that I, I've considered for myself and I, I want to challenge you to consider as well. How do the things you worry about most reveal, how, how do the things you worry about most reveal the way you view your Heavenly Father? Just Take into account this morning, what are the things that I find myself worrying about? Are they needs? Or are they desires? And because based on the level of worry that I have over these things, what does it say about the way I view God as my Father, who owns all things and controls all things? and provides all things. So here's what I want you to understand. For me to just tell you to stop worrying would be like me telling you to just stop sinning. <laughs> um, pretty sure you're not going to be able to do that on your own. And I know you're not going to listen to this message in next week's and go, okay, Eric said the Bible says we should quit worrying. I'm going to quit worrying. I know that's not reality. That's not going to happen. But the same way that we pursue purifying our lives from sin because of who Jesus is in our life, we desire for those sinful things to, to, to be taken out of our life because we want to honor Jesus with our life. Maybe we should approach our worry in the same way and say, God, what are the things that I need to, to understand about you that will help me manage and eliminate the sinful worry that I have in my life. Because many people would say, I don't, I try not to worry, but I can't. Like I, I, and, and I do that. I, I, I try really hard not to worry about things, but it just happens. Um, just like I try not to sin in certain ways, but I still do. But I want to encourage you with this, and, and we'll wrap up with this final thought. The way that we get victory and control over sin in our life is not correct, is not so much in correcting our actions on our own. Because let's be honest, most of the time when we try to eliminate the sin in our life by just correcting our behavior, we usually fail. The way we, the way we deal with sin in our life is not focus on us, but it's put our eyes on Jesus. Putting our eyes on who He is and understanding that He is far greater than the sin or temptation that we're trying to eliminate from our life. The same thing goes with, with worrying. The way we, we will find ourselves struggling less and less with worry when we find ourselves focusing more and more on the goodness and the ownership and the provision and the control of our Heavenly Father. The more we get to know who God is, the less we'll worry. The more we draw close to Him in relationship, the more we read His Word and understand what it tells us about who He is, and the more we believe who he is, the easier it will be to deal with our worry. So, so don't leave, don't get up off your couch and think, okay, I've got to do step one, two, and three so that I'll quit worrying. Just, just stare at Jesus. Just gaze at God and who he is and what he does. And what his word says. And that's why we're doing this. We're, we're looking at the scriptures so that we can 
have it remind us of who God is. And so that we can, we can look at ourselves and go, why am I, why am I worrying about this? And Jesus says, there's no reason to, there's no reason to worry because you've got a good, good father who loves and cares for you and will always provide everything that you need.